Open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. And, um, you know, as we get going, I was thinking this morning about how much um, I love music. Uh, I just have always loved music. I grew up in a musical family. Uh, and uh, there are some times where I'll get a certain song stuck in my head. Now, sometimes that's the result of songs that my kids are listening to that, uh, you know, kind of tempt me to banish them from our living room or our home for short periods of time so that I can get a new song in our head, um, you know, those kinds of songs. But uh, more often than not, I get a certain worship song that kind of gets stuck in my head. And uh, I'll play it over and over again. And the kids are kind of, oh, are we listening to that song again? I'm like, yep, because dad needs this song today. Uh, because the song is usually a prayer or an expression of something that I feel like I need in my soul. And so it helps me echo that. It helps me cry out to the Lord, whether it's a song of praise or just a song that declares my need for the Lord or truth about who he is that I need to be depending on uh, in those moments. So I get into these patterns at times where I'm just going to camp out on this song because the song um, kind of puts uh, fire in the uh, puts wood on the fire of my soul, if you will. So a good music with biblical prayers are just great accompaniment tracks for your prayer life and, and my prayer life and the way that we uh, talk to one another, the way that we talk with the Lord. Most songs uh, are made up of things like uh, a verse and then a chorus, and maybe a second verse, and there's a chorus, and there's a bridge in there. So the part of the song sounds a little different. And, um, and the chorus, uh, in, in hymnody or with hymns or poems, we know a chorus as a refrain. And it's that part of the song that, that usually gets stuck in your head, and you just kind of sing that chorus over and over again. This morning we sang, you are the everlasting God, the everlasting God. You do not faint. You won't grow weary. You're the defender of the weak. You comfort those in need. What a wonderful truth to sing. It comes directly out of Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint. He doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He, is, he increases his strength. Even, even youths feel, shall faint and be weary and young men shall be exhausted. But they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. What Paul is leading us into here in verses 16, 17, 18 of first Thessalonians five is this idea that we must cling to the Lord in prayer. Read with me. Rejoice always. He says, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so our main idea this morning comes from that last phrase. You still see it on the screen there, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And that is that in Christ and through the Holy Spirit, God empowers you to do his joyous will. In Christ and through his Holy Spirit, God empowers you to do his holy will. When we think about God's purposes for the church often... We have this kind of a conversation. A lot of times people mention a, a few different things. Like, what's, what's God's purpose for the church? A lot of people will start out with, well, evangelism. Okay. That's a purpose for the church. I'd actually argue it's not the main purpose for the church, but it's a significant purpose for the church, lest you throw me out of here. Uh, 
There's the Great Commission after all, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. One section of a couple more verses that follow, right? Others mentioned those in need, that we're supposed to be caring for those who are less fortunate, that those who are sick or those who are ill, those who are in monetary, some sort of a monetary need. And I would say that's a purpose uh, for the church. But the church's primary purpose is not to be a, a social agency, a social service agency of sorts, right? Still others think of the church as a safe haven where Christians come to escape from the world and the trials of the world and to be encouraged by those Christians that we are surrounded by. Also a true reality for the church, a true part of God's purpose for the church. But I think we see over and over again that the main purpose for the church, according to Paul, is that God's people should grow spiritually so that we increasingly grow into Christ-like holiness and maturity. And I would argue that everything else flows out of that. Evangelism flows out of that. Caring for those in the church and outside of the church flows out of that. Coming in from the difficulties of the world grows out of that because there's a hunger in our souls. We know we've got to be under the preaching of God's word and with God's people. All of these things flow out of God's purpose to make us more and more like his son, Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes we get to a point where we say, okay, so I've repented of my sin and I've trusted Christ as my savior. And I know some things about the Bible. I know some important theologies and I'm good. Maybe it's not exactly like this, but, but maybe kind of like saying, you know what? I'm going to operate a chainsaw and uh, I know how to start it. And I know where the trigger is, the throttle is. And I know how to lock the throttle down. And that's really all I need. I think I'm good. Well, you're going to be in a world of hurt. If we tell ourselves we only need these one or two things or three or four things in our relationship with the Lord, number one, we deny scripture because God gave us many pages of scripture, all of which are profitable for our growth in Christ likeness. So to stop short and say, well, this is all I need. What you end up doing is you end up selling your short self truth, selling yourself short with a bunch of half truths, things that are true in and of their statement. But but underneath them, there is so much more richness of theology. For example. Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for good for those who are called. Uh, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Right. Which we summarize and saying, hey, everything happens for a reason. Well, yeah, true. But loving that truth really comes when we understand the depth and the breadth of the sovereignty of God. The fact that God is providentially working through every situation and circumstance in the world and knowing that he has perfect, blameless character. He is always good all the time. He is always right. He never fails. No situation that happens in your life or in my life is by accident. Even if it's a sinful situation, while God didn't bring the sinful situation along, he allowed it, he ordained it in a, in a sovereign sense to say, you know what, at the end of the day, this is going to be good 
for Rhonda's soul. This is going to be good for Matt's soul. This is going to be good for Ethan's soul in the long run. And so we need to be careful not to sell ourselves short on the fact that God wants us to grow continually, progressively in Christ-likeness. Now, I'm going to just tell you, you're going to have to work hard. I'll try to keep you engaged, but it is warm in this room. I don't know if y'all are feeling it too. Now, those of you who are always cold are like, praise Jesus, I love it today. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. You get one day. You get one day. And I getting the app back on my phone next week. And uh, I'm just kidding. I don't know what's going on, but it is really warm in here this morning. So, all right. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Uh, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Say that in every way. Go in every way. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together with every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. What a phrase for mutual accountability and the need for the full body of Christ to be growing up into Christ-likeness. When each part is working properly, makes the body so that it builds itself up in love. Brothers and sisters, that will keep us going until the day we go home to be with Jesus. Amen? Amen. And praise the Lord for whoever just turned that thing on. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry for the three of you that you're like, yes, this is my day. Nope, it was your moment though. It was your moment. We see this idea of growing up into Christ likeness fleshed out through these this threefold uh, commands that we see in verses 16 and 17 and 18 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, originally, I had this crazy idea that I was going to kind of cover verses 12 through 22 in a Sunday. And then I thought, oh, two Sundays. And I'm like, no way, not a chance. So uh, three or four Sundays, here we go. And it's going to be good. But what he's getting at is that in order to be wholehearted followers of Christ, we know that in and through In Christ and through the Holy Spirit, God empowers you to do his joyous will. In other words, among other things, it means you must first be a Christian in order to do God's will. So many people I see striving and trying and scraping, manipulating, making empty promises with God. God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I'll serve you forever. Number one, you're not fooling God. You're only fooling yourselves. And whether or not it's a legitimate prayer, comes out in the wash. It comes out in years to come, right? You got to be a Christian. You've got to be one who says, you know what? I'm not going to be able to work my way to heaven. Good works won't stack up. The comprehensive math of doing good works to, uh, to, to, to outweigh the sinful deeds I've done, it never works because one sin separates us from God. One sin means that we deserve the wrath of God. How could God do that? No, how could we do that? Well, your theology answers that question. Your your belief and study of God answers that question. How could we do that? Well, very easily when our hearts are set against God. So easily. In fact, there are times I'll, I'll say something in the wrong tone to someone at church or someone in my family or 
what the case might be. And I, I just say something like, man, how could I do that? I know the answer immediately. Immediately. If you ask the question, oh, how could I do that? And you stick with that question for a while and you try to actually figure it out. You need to understand the depth of your own depravity. Because then it comes very quickly. That doesn't mean you're, you're depraved in your sin without no hope. That's why we have Jesus who gives us hope, who rescues us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and its present, ruling presence over our lives. Romans 8, 26 and 27, it's right before the verse I quoted that we all love so much. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for when we do not know how to pray as we ought, uh, but the Spirit of God, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. That means prays for us uh, with groanings too deep for words. And he, God, who searches hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Rest assured, brother and sister in Christ, God is praying for you. The spirit of God is praying God's will for you. I don't know what to pray. That's okay. Just go to the Lord. Do the best you can. Allow the scriptures to help you pray and know that the spirit of God is praying for you. So the spirit is praying for for, for you and I that we would fulfill this three part command that we would that, that we would rejoice in the Lord always that we would pray constantly and that we would give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord always. One of my sisters, I've shared this with you before, with her kids, and then we adopted it. But when talking about doing things with joy, she would use the expression, have a happy heart. That means desire to do joyously from within you, from, from, from within your soul of who you are, because we're rejoicing in Jesus, in other words. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's another way of saying, let your happy heart be known. So kind of to pair this with our our main idea this morning, in Christ and through the Holy Spirit, God empowers you to rejoice in the Lord always or to let your happy Christian heart be known, right? This phrase uh, literally means at all times rejoicing. And it highlights that when you as a believer are actively growing in Christ, you will have deep-seated confidence in God's sovereign love and in his immeasurable power, which Paul tells us in several places, is at work toward those who believe, toward his own children. Now, we have to be careful here because in our attempts to encourage people with God's love for them, we might say something to someone that best we know, we're not judging people's hearts, but we see the fruit that is evidenced in their lives. And so sometimes we might say things like, uh, you know, God loves all of his children and you're you're his child. No, no. These wonderful promises of Romans 8, 28 are not for those who do not believe in God through faith. Now we pray that it might be a circumstance that God uses to quicken their hearts to believe in him. And we would say, wow, praise God that he used difficult circumstances to, to raise up faith in someone, to believe him, to trust him, to follow him. We would say, praise God for that. I'm, I'm giving thanks in that circumstance. I'm so thankful for that. But we have to be careful that we don't just walk around and tell people, hey, everything happens for good. God will use that for good in your life. Well, if they're not a believer, the most good that will come immediately at least, is that they would see their need for a savior. 
see their need for someone who is in control of the world other than them. There's only one. And they need that reality. And sometimes that's a shocking sort of, I'm going to use the word confrontation. I don't mean a fight. I just mean we're confronting someone's belief system with the truth of who God is. And it's often in the darkness of difficult circumstances that people are listening. They're looking for hope. And when they're looking for hope, friends, we must give them real hope. I don't want to help somebody leave and be happy because they think everything's going to work out for good. If they're not in Christ, it's not for them. And so we've got to confront them with that and say, hey, can I help you learn how to rejoice in the Lord always? Well, I believe in God. Well, so does Satan. And he's not rejoicing in the Lord. I want to help you see how you can rejoice in the Lord always. Do you want to talk about that? No, not really. Okay. Or if they, they do, then we lean into the richness of who God is. That means we have to answer difficult questions in ways that are not uh, simplistic. Right? That means we need to be in a place where we can answer tough questions in a way that says, you know, that's a great question. Let me search that one out a little bit. Let's get together again and talk, talk about that. Well, what are we thankful for if we're to rejoice all the time? Rejoice always. Always be rejoicing. Well, we rejoice in God's character. Some of these things I've already referenced. He's blameless. He's righteous in every way. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength, my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. Do you hear that? Because of who God is, my heart trusts in him and I am helped. I'm not helped by knowing God is big. I'm not helped by knowing only these things. I'm helped when I trust in him. When I trust his bigness. Kids, you sing this song in Sunday school. Sometimes my God is so big. Finish this with he's so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Oh, kids, come on. My God is so big, so strong and so. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. I think I might have to bring the adults in on this one. Maybe y'all don't sing that anymore. <laughs> he is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song, I give thanks to him. So we praise God for his righteous character, his blameless nature, who he is. We praise him for the salvation he gives us so freely. Oh, that he would... Send his son that you and I might have everlasting life by repenting of our sins and trusting in Jesus. We praise him for the spirit's work on our behalf. We praise him for the Christian fellowship. Paul earlier in this letter, praise God for this. What thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. That's a rhetorical statement. He knows what kind of thanksgiving he can return to God for the mutual benefit, the mutual mutual joy and thanksgiving of seeing others grow in Christ. In fact, uh, in the first few verses of this letter, he says, we give thanks to God for you always, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. So what we're seeing, Paul, it give, show by example in 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, we're seeing him command here but it's interesting because paul commands us to do something that we're unable to do on our own 
Just think about that for a second. Paul commands us, this isn't the only place, and it's not only Paul, but he commands us to live in such a way that we must be dependent on the Lord. How do we how do we depend on the Lord? Well, you pray constantly. You pray constantly. And I'll add to that. I, I skipped this from my first point, and, and that is just don't forget to be singing. Colossians 3 says that we're to be singing. The Christian faith is a singing faith. It's a making a joyful noise faith. Right? We sing. We pour our hearts out to God for who he is what he's done and and what he's doing. So in and through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, God empowers you to pray constantly. Puritan scholar John Owen, he wrote this. He says, we do not have the ability in ourselves. Now, listen, you leave this room or you leave any environment where somebody is actually preaching the word of God. And you're going to constantly hear that you find it. You need to find it within you. You need to find the power within you. You need to find the strength within you. Right? Some places will say, uh, some other being that's more powerful than you. But most of what you hear is within you. Find it within yourself. The only way that we can find it within ourselves is when Christ is in us because we are in Christ. And so he says, we do not have it in ourselves to accomplish the least of God's tasks. This is the law of grace. When we recognize that it's impossible for us to perform a duty in our own strength, we will discover the secret of its accomplishing. But alas, he says, this is the secret we often fail to discover. I love Jerry Bridges wrote a book called True Community. It's gone through several reprintings and has actually been under a couple of different titles. Uh, But in, in True Community, he says, he explains the difference between a Lord help me approach to living and an abiding in Christ approach to the way that we live. And he gives this illustration. He says, it's as if it's as if a believer goes to the Lord and says, Lord, you've given me this task to do. You've given me this command in scripture. We're going to call that command a log. And you're going to, you've given me this log to lift. And so Lord, I'm going to come and I'm going to lift with my knees and I'm going to lift this log. And God, I need you on the other end. And I need you to help me lift this log as though God's doing half of the work and we're doing the other half of the work. If we're generous in our view of God, we may say God's doing 80% of the work and I'm doing 20% of the work. But the fact of the matter is, he says, Lord, you must enable me to lift this log if I am able to do it at all. To all appearances, it will look as though I'm lifting this log and I truly am, but I'm only doing so because you have given me all 100% of the strength to do it. This is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in Philippians 4.13. The context he's talking about is contentment. It's not a football verse. It's not a baseball verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We see it in stands all the time. But it's not about performing well in your sport. It's about being content in who Christ is. And when we're content in who Christ is, that can only be because we're growing continually in our awareness of how, how magnanimous he is, how perfect he is, how righteously righteous he is, how transcendent he is, how other than us God is. And so we know that if we lack anything and God wants us to have it, he will provide. 
And so Paul says, whether I'm hungry or I'm well-fed, whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor, I've learned the secret to be content. He says, I have learned. Be careful not to preach another sub-sermon here, but I have learned. It means it doesn't happen at first try. Learning to trust God alone to do all of the work that he's called us to do and walking out our union with Christ in him, it doesn't happen the first time you try. In fact, we'll be learning it and growing until the day that we go to be, go to be with the Lord, I think. But we will grow in it increasingly. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Brothers and sisters, this happens through our prayer. God has called us to accomplish things that he has given us the means to accomplish by seeking him. A prayerful life is a dependent life. If we live a life of, Lord, help me, that's partial self-trust in our own self-effort versus, Lord, enable me. And you've heard me say from this pulpit many times even lord help me it's a wonderful prayer so i don't want to get too caught up on the semantics of it other than to say the heart attitude our disposition needs to be god help me enable me do it in me so that i can walk it out do it in me so i can walk it out you want to put effort towards something and you should this is no reason to sit back as believers and say Well, God has to enable me, so I'm just going to sit here and wait for that enabling power. Come on, Lord. Enable me. Lord, would you provide the job that I need? Lord, would you answer this need for me? Lord, would would you give me someone that I could share the gospel with? I hope they know where my house is. I hope my door is unlocked. Ah, you can get him in, God. You, you laugh because it's ridiculous, and it is ridiculous. But I want to ask in what ways do we live this way? Lord, if you want me to fill in a blank, because if I pick anyone right now, we're all, including myself, going to think we're just, I'm just targeting you. Lord, if you want me to, you make it so. No, God enables us with the enabling work of the Holy Spirit inside of us to walk in faith. I don't know how this is going to happen. Exactly. Now obey. Well, I don't know if I can do this because... No, 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 no. Don't size it up. Don't size God up. The Lord says, live this way, live this way. Lord, enable me to worship you today. Enable me to sing with faith. Whether it's been taught in our worship team for many years or having Pastor Aaron here to serve our church family alongside of the rest of the worship team, I want to tell you something. It is not his job to usher you into the throne room of heaven. You want to set someone up for failure? There it is. The music wasn't very good. Not today. 
music wasn't very good today. I just couldn't get my worship on. That's a you problem. Because people all around the world are worshiping in hot environments. I shouldn't have complained. People around the world are, 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 are worshiping God, sitting in windowsills, leaning in just to hear the preaching of the word of God, just to be with other believers. When we don't get things our way, oh, they didn't sing the song I wanted them to sing today. Oh, I wish so-and-so would have led this song. Not his job, not what we call them to do. Not what we call them to do. It's what God calls you and I to do. call out to God. Every time you're in need of grace and mercy to help, Hebrews tells us, and he will give it to you lavishly. I, I, I may have told this story before, but I served as a worship pastor for some time. And in those years, there were times that I would, uh, and this happens sometimes now as a, as a preacher, but a little bit less because I have the vantage point or I have the, the, the joy of being helped in my worship. There's a difference between that and it's his job to get me there, right? He, they put songs before us that bring glory to Jesus and I can sing out my heart to the Lord. But there will be times when I was a worship leader where my heart wasn't in the right place. And I'm like, Lord, I'm on a clock and I don't know what to do about my heart right now. I have to walk on the platform and smile in 32 seconds. I repent. Do it in me. Because I know I believe these songs. I know I believe the lyrics to what we're singing. I need you to do it in me. And I can tell you on the authority of God's word and the best of my memory, there wasn't a time that I prayed that prayer. That's important. And that I surrendered. That I didn't walk out on that platform and smile with joy. And be able to participate with others as we lifted our voices to praise the one true king together. Friend, he's faithful. Call out to him. Live a life of prayer. So how? Well, Paul Miller wrote a wonderful book called A Praying Life. And he says, know that you can't do life on your own. In other words, recognize your need and depend on the Lord in every situation. Prayer is the language of trusting the Lord. That means all throughout the day, just fire up short prayers. Now, this is not uh, a sermon that says you don't ever need to have extended prayer, but it is a sermon that says you ought to be always praying. You ought to be always in communion with the Lord. You ought to be always be walking around talking to the Lord. Lord, I don't know what to do with this situation. Situation, Would you give me wisdom? I remember uh, when I was in high school, I had a, I had a, a, a student Bible. And uh, there were some notes, a teen student Bible, and there were some notes in the bottom. And I'll, I'll never forget, on the left page on the bottom right-hand corner, there was a box with an arrow pointing up, and it said, the arrow prayer. And it was this prayer that Nehemiah prayed, right? He's the cupbearer to a pagan king, Artaxerxes, and, and he had been sad in the king's presence. And Nehemiah was afraid, and so he explains to the king that he was sad because Jerusalem was desolate and destroyed, and the king asked what Nehemiah would request. And in verse 4 of Nehemiah 2, the king asked, what do you want? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And it said in my teen study Bible, the arrow prayer. Verse 4, so I prayed to the God of heaven. 
There it is. You're in school and you don't know what to do. So you pray to the God of heaven. You're at work and you're not sure how to handle a situation. So you pray to the God of heaven. You're alone. It's dark. It's late. You're in front of a computer screen. So what do you do? You pray to the God of heaven. You're in an argument with your spouse or somebody else in your family, and you know that you're not handling it right, and you need to do your part of, of, of trying to make things right. So what do you do? First, you pray to the God of heaven. You live a life that constantly goes before the Lord and casts your need upon him. I want to encourage you. Uh, we have a lot of these books, and if it will make you feel better, we got them for free. And so I want to encourage you. Donald Whitney wrote a great book called Praying the Bible. I've got a handful of them, a dozen or so up here on the platform. I've got 10 of them or so back there. I've got a few of them on the welcome table. Take one with you. Now, I don't, it doesn't do any good on the floorboard of your car. So, you know, it's a stewardship conversation there. But take one with you. Read it. It's a, it's a pretty easy read. It's not a long book. You don't have to read it in one sitting. It's kind of big print even. So take it and read it and allow... Don Whitney to help you learn some ways to allow the Bible to help you pray. Because if you're like every other human on the planet, we struggle in our prayers. Save a few prayer warriors who live in the closet. And we would be amen. Yea is right. And we'd be nothing without God's work through them in response to their prayers. So spend time in God's word and in prayer each and every day, each and every day. He's not implying that all throughout the day we need to be in this constant prayer and thankfulness. No, he means it's a reflex. This happens, I go to the Lord. I've done something wrong, I repent. It doesn't have to be complicated. I've spoken away last night to my wife and I sinned against my wife. I sinned against the Lord first. So I had to make, I said, oh, I need to confess this to her and I need to ask her forgiveness. And then the spirit was like, no, first you need to repent. And I was like, yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. And the first conversation we had this morning was that. The follow through from repentance. Which happens in prayer. And then lastly, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. In other words, in Christ and through the Holy Spirit, God empowers you to give thanks in all circumstances. Notice the word in. To give thanks in all circumstances is not the same as giving thanks for all circumstances. There are many circumstances that at right now, from my present perspective, I'm not giving thanks for. One day, in hindsight, I will see how God used those situations for his sovereignly good purposes. But now, in the midst of the trial, in all circumstances, give thanks. Even something as simple as, Lord, I hate this situation right now. I hate it. I don't like it. I want out. But I know you're using this to chip away at my hard head. You're using this to chip away at my ungodly character. You're using this to make me more and more into the image of Christ. And I got a lot of chipping left to do. In fact, you have a lot of chipping left to do on my spiritual character on my spiritual frame so in this situation god thank you that you're working something for good that even i don't see or understand now 
Many situations that are the result of spiritual warfare. Many situations, things that are going on over in Israel right now, brothers and sisters, that that are just pure evil. I'm going to tell you in one sentence, I'm not saying, oh God, I thank you so much for the warfare and the carnage. I'm not making light. I'm being serious. Like I'm grieved over what's happening. Deeply grieved by it. We ought to be grieved. We ought to be angered by the things that anger God according to his word. And yet, in all circumstances, we can say, God, I know that you're working in this. I don't understand how the pieces fit together, but I know you're working. Why? Because I understand it? No, because it's who you are. And my confidence for prayer, my confidence for joy, my confidence for giving thanks is banked in who you are. So thank you for being who you are. You think about the life of Joseph. We're going to dive back into the rest of Genesis and next year and uh, beginning of the year. But the last 13 chapters of Genesis, we see the story of the life of Joseph, right? His brothers hated him. They planned to kill him. Why? Well, because he got a little arrogant when he had a dream for the Lord and, you know, in his youthfulness. Hey, guys, guess what? You're all going to bow to me one day. And they're like... (laughs) Not if I have anything to do with it. And they did their best, but God is God. And God always wins. And so his older brother was like, "Eh, why don't we not murder him? Let's just throw him in a pit. That's a way better solution. And he gets sold off into slavery. And Potiphar's wife makes a move for him and he runs away. But, you know, he gets thrown in prison and, And he interprets some dreams. This is the very, very, very loose paraphrase. He interprets some dreams. Oh, hey, by the way, uh, now that you're getting out, just don't forget about me. Like, I kind of helped you here. And he gets out and he's like, oh, man, I got new freedom in the life of the king, service of the king now. And he forgets all about Joseph. What? Like, Lord, I did what you told me to do. No, the Lord had more for him. So he waited. He was there. The cupbearer forgot. Two years later, he interprets Pharaoh's dream. Right where God needs him. For the exact situation God needed him for, chose to put him there for. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he gets elevated to the most powerful position in the country next to Pharaoh. And then... Later, he's able to be reconciled to his brothers, see his older dying father again. But after Jacob, we know as Israel died, the brothers were like, oh, dad's dead. And he's probably going to be really mad once he kind of puts all this together. He's going to get back at us. And I want you to listen to what he says in the end of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, Joseph wept. And I mean, like, he cleared the room. You know, there's a difference between when you shed a tear and when you're like, I need an ugly cry away from everybody. Joseph clears the room and he weeps. And he says, 
Am I in God's place? And then he pours out theological wisdom, an understanding of who God is, why God him brought here, why God brought him here, why the, the awful slavery. And then he says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Joseph saw God as, as sovereign and good. And he submits to the sovereign goodness of God in every situation. And in a way that seems miraculous, he's got a thankful heart. That's why when you and I live in the midst of great difficulty and a lost and dying world looks and says, why do you have joy? The only way that we can answer is by telling them about Jesus. Otherwise we lie. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus.